Hello everyone, welcome to this podcast. I'm Julian Delpy, head of Pepper Jam Club. Today's topic is a new economic order. And my guest today is Sanella Kevrick from Fidelity International. Hello, Sanella. First question for today. What do you expect to be different after this crisis? At Fidelity, we believe that the COVID-19 crisis will trigger a step change in policy. It will accelerate some existing trends and transform investment frameworks. Government intervention and fiscal activism will characterize the world after the crisis. And we also expect to see continued Asian economic strength for a number of reasons. On another topic, we expect to see increased focus on sustainability, a more sustainable approach to the way we consume, we live or we operate. And people are driving that change and, and governments will be supporting it with their policies. To make it short, we expect some of the trends to speed up and we anticipate what we call a new economic order. What is your new economic order? The new economic order is for us a world of increased government intervention and more fiscal activism. It's far less room for the free market and clearly governments will be everywhere. What is the role of central banks in this crisis? Central banks all over the world, be it in Europe, in the US, in Japan, basically everywhere, have been intervening a lot over the past decade. They've been supporting the economy. They've expanded their set of tools and the scale of their intervention has just been massive. Look at their balance sheets and how it has expanded since the global financial crisis. Do you think that the intervention can last forever? We think that the central banks will keep on intervening more than ever, and they will continue with new solutions, including some form of yield curve control, especially by the Federal Reserve. But with central banks pushing against the limits of monetary policy, governments themselves are also stepping in. But what do you expect governments to do then? The COVID-19 crisis can be seen as kind of a cover for politicians. They are intervening more, and this is just an acceleration of the trend we've seen over the past years. They are doing whatever they can to respond to a global economy with low growth, high debt, growing inequality and rising populism. What concrete action do you expect from governments? First, we might see more regulation and higher taxes globally. And some positive things like the expansion of social welfare schemes, especially those relating to healthcare. Looking at specific sectors, we are again seeing nationalizations or increased stakes in airline companies, for example. And this might also happen in the field of infrastructure. And it's even more likely to happen in the healthcare sector. Can we already assess the shape of the global economy? It's difficult to say and, and difficult to predict with certainty what is to happen. Some sectors have been paralyzed for weeks or months. And, and will have scars for longer. For instance, airlines, the car making industry. I, I wish we had a crystal ball and could precisely say what is going to happen, but this will depend on a series of factors. And clearly the most important one is the trajectory of the virus. And of course, consumer and corporate behavior will play a key role in how soon activity picks up. Our macro team expects to see a U-shaped recovery defined by a gradual lifting of lockdown measures during the summer, but there will be continued social distancing for the rest of the year. We also expect to see 
other forms of restrictions to continue for the next 12 months. So clearly 2020 is a year of recession for the entire world. What impact do you expect on unemployment? Unfortunately, we expect severe impact on jobs. Unemployment is rising rapidly almost everywhere, and in particular in the US. In the US, they have a flexible labor market, no wage subsidy mechanism like we have in most countries in Europe. They depend quite a lot on small and medium-sized enterprises, which are clearly being hurt. The magnitude of the problem in the US could create systemic risk. It could drain people from their savings, increase leverage, which means more debt, and clearly hurt consumer demand. It will be very important to see if the US government introduces kind of a jobs program. Otherwise, the impact could be felt for a longer period of time. And, and bear in mind that the US presidential elections are just a few months away. But what can be done? We think that developed market economies will need transformative programs to escape the low growth once the crisis is over. And the US will be a key test. Since March, the US labor market has experienced a huge rise in unemployment, and the figures can be compared to the ones we've seen during the Great Depression. People are losing their jobs, so this has an impact on US consumption, and as a consequence, it has an impact on the US GDP. And 70% of the US GDP is consumer-led, so clearly consumption is very important. But you know, we live in a global economy, so what's happening now in the US will also have an impact on the rest of the world. So in order to get back to a virtuous circle of high employment and growing consumption, we clearly need to see more economic stimulus. You mentioned sustainability becoming even more important. Can you tell us more about it? Sure. During lockdown, our analysts kept on engaging with companies. We have recently conducted a pulse survey. So 146 equity analysts have surveyed more than 200 large companies, cross sectors and across the globe. Our survey gives insight from the ground on metrics like demand, earnings. But the key takeaway is not really a financial one. It is that the coronavirus crisis will have a profound impact on how companies handle ESG-related issues. Let's go back to markets. You expect a real economy to slow down, but markets have massively recovered in April. How can you explain that? You're right. April marked the largest surge in equity prices in a month since 1987. On the fixed income side, global high-yield credit spreads saw their biggest contraction since 2011. Economists may just think that investors are getting mad, but markets are just reacting to a new reality. The April rally was not a sign of confidence in the global economy. It was more a reaction to the dramatic increase in money supply and the huge expansion in central banks' balance sheets. To give you some figures, the Fed balance sheet has risen by around $2.7 trillion to $7 trillion in the last two months alone, and it will expand further. And the U.S. Treasury is seeking to borrow $3 trillion to fund COVID-19 bailout packages. To make it short, central banks are doing their best to help economies in the current situation. And they are doing more than ever in history. At Fidelity, do you still see opportunities for investors? As in any crisis, we, we do see investment opportunities. The short-term uncertainty creates a great entry point for high-quality businesses 
whose earnings and dividends will normalize at some point in time in the future. On the fixed income side, downgrades will increase. Rating agencies will be lagging to reflect it, but yields are already compensating for the increased risk of default. But as usual, you need to diversify. Nobody can foresee with certainty what is going to happen when we exit this crisis. And what we are discussing today might just be outdated in two weeks' time. Central banks are doing whatever they can, but their intervention can also cause issues in the longer run. So yes, there are opportunities. There are always opportunities. And some are in growing sectors, which growth has been bolstered by the COVID-19 shock. Technology, for instance, or the broader need for connectivity. And healthcare is also a sector in the focus, but we will talk about it next time. Technology has been extremely important for the financial sector while we were working from home. What is Fidelity's view? You're right. The pandemic has highlighted the fact that we heavily depend on technology. The entire financial sector could keep on working thanks to remote connections, online meeting applications, and some consumers have ordered online more than ever. And this is just an acceleration of a trend that we've been seeing for years. Final words on Asia. You said that you expected the region to remain a leader in terms of growth. Yes, we think that the region is returning to normal sooner than elsewhere. But there's a risk of a second wave of pandemic, no? Yes, there is, of course, a risk. But countries like China, Hong Kong, South Korea have demonstrated to be organized, well-resourced. And it appears that the situation is more under control and they can reopen their economies faster. And this clearly puts Asia at an advantage versus the rest of the world, because the rest of the world is still fighting the pandemic or organizing its response. There are also more structural reasons why we think Asia is primed for economic leadership. They have structural high growth, stable political regimes, with some exceptions and current issues, of course. Their adoption of technology is really wide scale. And certain countries also have lower debt and more supportive demographics. Asia has been driving global growth for the past 10 to 15 years, and we expect this to continue. Well, that's it for today. Thank you very much for following us. Until the next episode.